This is a WBR podcast. Welcome to the Logi Pharma podcast, the show that takes you behind the scenes of the life sciences supply chain. I'm Megan. And I'm Lucas. In each episode, we will sit down with experts and thought leaders from the industry and beyond to bring you unrivaled insights. Exactly. Our guests will include supply chain executives, pharma CEOs, our very own industry experts from WBR and some recent graduates. Whether they have reached the pinnacle of their career or they're just starting out, our guests are shaping the future of the industry. So join us to uncover the stories behind the supply chain and make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Wow, wow, wow. What an episode we've got coming up for you this week. I, this has got to stay, the energy that you bring. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, not unfounded energy for the guests that we have. No, no, genuinely. It was, it's a really good episode. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, we've been starting with, welcome back to the Roger Farm podcast. And Lucas is trialing some fun. Yeah, see how it goes. Let us know what you think in the, in the comments. Think, Are there I, comments I, anywhere? Can people comment? Comment on my LinkedIn, please. Follow me yeah, on follow LinkedIn. Follow first, of course. Yeah. yeah, I need to get my numbers up. Yeah. I think I'm on don't just, 60. Or don't just connect with me. Follow me. Follow, yeah. I'm going to yeah. be an influencer. We're going to yeah. be influencers on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. What who, an episode. Who are we speaking to, Megan? Um, we're speaking to Cesar, um, mm-hmm. who has shared with... We actually had a really interesting conversation yeah, with him. Yeah, like joking aside. Um, it actually joking is very aside, yeah. insightful. We've come in with major energy today. But, yeah. Um, it was a really... We had a really great chat with him about... Uh, all things COVID-19 vaccine yes. um, yep. and his experience working with Pfizer, Pfizer. at the time. Yep. He's at Bayer now, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, he talked us through his experiences um, during the vaccine and how he got that out and just the kind of high pressure and high stakes that him and the team were under yep. at that point. And it was, we were just kind of sat there like, wow. Yeah, I think um, we said on the call, but from our experience of receiving the vaccine, of yeah. like having, I think I said, we went to like yeah. a town hall I was in Near like, where? yeah, I went to like, one of mine was in a town hall and the other was in like Aberdeen's um, yeah. major concert centre. Wow, varying. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to brag, mine. but it was yeah. very cool. Um, yeah, so from receiving it there, but just knowing even what he would have told us would have been 5%. Oh yeah, yeah. He was like, was, we but... could be here for hours. Yeah. And me and Lucas would have been there for hours. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear. Our lovely producer um, reminded us that these episodes are 45 minutes. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, but you couldn't even imagine the, the sort of planning and um just the pressure of it i don't know yeah we couldn't even think of what would go into even just getting it approved before it then has to be distributed never mind the distribution logistics and also just like the kind of like camaraderie you must have with the people you're doing it with Mm -hmm. because you're all under that no one else is probably i mean he spoke about like the kind of like all the checks you have to go through to get a vaccine approved and it can take years yeah the fact they did it in months. Yeah, because they had to. They had to. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was literally life-saving, life yep. or death on the end. Like, mm-hmm. It was just such an interesting chat. And he was so calm chatting about it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And it's sort of just the overall success of it mm-hmm. in general just goes to show the sort of planning and teamwork and everything else that would have gone into it. Um, mm-hmm. Very impressive. I found that bit really interesting about like, I mean, we'll get in, you'll obviously hear him speak in the episode, but I, the focus he put not on kind of like, the system, but it was more yeah. on the team itself yep. and the human aspect and how important having people around him that knew how to do it. It was mm-hmm. very people focused. Yep. Um, and I think that kind of gets lost. I think I say that every episode about um, yeah. human aspect. But <laughs> that's, yeah, your, no, was, that's your visiting a farmer. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> we did mention. I, I, of course, I was, you have to. Look, he was having a really professional chat. And I, and the thing I was is, like, Lucas, you were at Logi Pharma, weren't you? Yeah, at this point, I'm not even trying to mention it. 
I am. You just, yeah, I'm trying to get away, you know, an episode where I don't mention it and then it gets... We need up. to have a gag on this podcast yeah. and that's it. That's, um, that's the one. But he loved Logi Farm as well. Yeah, what's not to love? Really, yeah. I mean, there isn't anything not to love, but exactly. he was big. He was, he, um, was. he really enjoyed his time yeah. at Logi Farm. Um, we made a joke in the um, podcast, didn't we? But it was like <laughs> we paid our him. joke, please. Yeah, it was like we paid him to give a good answer. We didn't, by the way. That was no. just his true thoughts on Logi Farm, which is great to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, of which we'll take, even though we don't plan Logi Farmer. No, no. I plan some blogs. I do blogs. I'll write yeah. some. I'm writing currently. I mean, this is promotion, um, but I'm currently oh, yeah. writing a Logi Farmer sustainability report. Wow. That will be coming out soon. And will that be featured at the next Logi Farmer event? Uh, it will be at the Logi Farmer Connect. So wow. if you want to go to that. Yeah, if you want the report. If you want that, go. Go to the Connect, obviously. <laughs> obviously. That's how it works. <laughs> but more importantly. Yes. Um, we got, unless I'm mistaken, two myths from we Cesar. We did get two myths. Yeah. He was ready. Ready, yeah. yeah. And they were good, yeah. as they always are. Um, so yeah, But two very good ones. We got two for the price of one. Yeah, they're both very good. It so, felt like a win, really. This yeah, episode, we wins. were just, I feel like this is the most, like, we, we've done it. We've got a few under our belt at this mm-hmm. point, but we're here. We're established. We kind of, and we had the kind of, we've pulled out the big guns for this one. 100%. It was a very, very interesting conversation. Yeah. And we're very excited for you to hear it. Yes. Yes. So should we stop talking basically and let them rambling on? Yeah. Let let them go into it. Yeah. Enjoy guys. So Cesar, thank you firstly very much for joining us on uh, this week's episode of the Lodger Farmer podcast. We're very excited to talk to you. Um, Before we sort of get into the the heavy hitting topics, (laughs) if you like, we um, we like to sort of learn a bit about our guests first. So with that said, would you be able just to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. yeah um, thanks for the invite also. I'm very no excited. Yeah, um, I'm actually, um, yeah, originally I'm from Spain. I just started here in in the logistics field within uh, several companies which were acquired by DHL in the end. So I spent like almost 20 years between uh, third-party logistics, DHL and XPO Logistics as uh, in, in all geographies actually started in um in other areas like fast-moving consumer goods and then moved into pretty much any kind of sector within DHL especially and uh, any kind of transportation mode. So, you know, I did a bit of time uh, abroad, of course. I stayed almost 20 years now out of my country and places like um, obviously UK, mm. Africa, but also uh, Asia-Pacific, no? And then I returned, wow. um, yeah. So when I returned, I, after a while, I, I decided to to leave and go uh, to the other side of the industry somehow. No? So <laughs> I really set up myself as, a, as an interim manager and worked mainly via PwC for pharma companies, um, studied at GSK vaccines um, in Belgium, so all the biological business there, mm-hmm. uh, project management, implementation, etc. And then I moved to to the Pfizer COVID vaccine launch, stayed there for a couple of years. And then recently I... You know, I accepted the opportunity of um, procurement, you now procurement of logistics services for Bayer, which is my current role, uh, taking care of the EMEA. So, yeah, Southern Europe, Middle East and Africa mainly at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. So a lot of experience in, in many sectors, not only pharma, but obviously this is my my core uh, interest, you know, um, but I know other other sectors. So, yeah. Amazing. I mean, you touched on the start of your career there. Did you kind of, when you finished university, have a path that you knew you wanted to go down and what kind of role did you start on? Was it just a case of 
you started somewhere and you kind of found out where the path that you were meant to go on from there. Mm. Good question. I would like to you if I said I had a clear, clear path. Mm. <laughs> but obviously, I started in finance because that was mm. more. I was I got a specialization on, on accounting, etc., yes. and then did a finance controlling for for this business unit in Spain for for DHL. But then suddenly, I mean, after four years, I moved more into operations management. You know, so I got the opportunity mm. of being a, a depot manager or operations director. We call it there at that time. So. And then from then, I uh, never came back to to uh, to finance and did all, all of that, you know, mainly <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I know you sort of touched on um, you now at um, Payer. What would you say you enjoy the most about your role now? Well, um, I enjoyed a lot because I was, as I, as I always say, I was always on the other side of the fence. So it's really interesting to be dealing with the third-party logistics now and, and really knowing a bit more how to deal with them, I, I would say, because obviously I spent quite a quite a bit uh, bit of time on on the other side, as I say. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I know more or less what we need from uh, from a third party logistics, um, and this is uh, yeah, it's very interesting. It's something I never did per se procurement, no, and this is uh, something I really always wanted to. And from Bayer as a company, I think it's, it's quite an interesting one. I mean, there is obviously the division of consumer and pharma, which is more or less. Uh, I mean, this is my main focus, but we also have crop science. So I think this is a very, very interesting sector from a company, you know, for, for the society in general as well. So yeah, very happy to be with Bayer at the moment. So amazing. It's just so interesting to hear kind of your wide range of experience from just across so many different industries. Um, obviously you touched on, um, pharma being the kind of main, your specialist there. How does that, the pharma supply chain differ in your opinion from others that you might have worked in? Yeah, obviously the, my opinion, the standards of this industry are quite different than other yeah. sectors. You know? um, so, I mean, having said that, there are other sectors that are really very interesting as well. And for sure, you know, automotive technology or even the e-commerce, if we consider mm-hmm. it as, as well, or a, a distribution channel, obviously, right? So, but yeah, we, the standards are, are different. You learn a lot, um, especially if you don't come from the industry, right? Mm. Uh, let's say it's a very quality and uh, regulatory driven, um, type of sector. So sometimes it's difficult to, to move things. Eh? Uh, I would be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes even a bit uh, risk averse, et cetera. But I think those things are changing more and more. And this is probably what we can in depth in this in this topic as well um but yeah this is also nowadays a very fast-paced environment as well i consider because many things are are changing getting changed for the better i i hope and then uh very very interesting sector to be honest yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. your sort of all the experience you have makes you a great speaker to have at lodger farmer I know before the call, we sort of said you may be at the Connect event uh, later this year, but we wondered how you first got involved with Lodger Farmer. Were you an attendee first, then got involved as a speaker, or straight in a speaker? Yeah. I actually attended um, 2018 in Montreux. Um, Amazing. Okay. Yeah, which was my first experience there. And, I thought it was the best, uh, obviously the best event in logistics for pharma that you could attend, to be honest. And, um, we'll, take that, we'll take that. Yeah, WR, yeah, yeah. we'll take no. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this very honestly. And then at that time I was working for, for Glaxo as, uh, for GSK as an, as an intern, uh, or a, you know, a consultant, let's say for PwC. Yeah. 
And then uh, since then, obviously, COVID came after a while and, you know, what happened, obviously. And then after that, I, within Bayer, obviously, made a lot of sense to go this year because we're dealing with third-party logistics and most of them were there, obviously. Not only third-party logistics, mm-hmm. but also all the technology providers you know, around the the real time, the disability and the, the tracking of, of shipments, etc. So we were a bit of a big bunch of uh, procurement guys this year in um, in Lyon in, in Logipharma. So really interesting as well. So <laughs> yeah. I always find I just find it so fascinating. Is it an intimidating feeling kind of speaking at these conferences and just having all these eyes on you? It's just something that I just could not yeah. imagine could the not pressure that. of that. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, true. I forgot about this. <laughs> You're right. This this year I had the, the excellent opportunity to be invited. I think um, it was excellent. There were many many forums also always around visibility, artificial intelligence, you know, mine, data mining, and all this. So this is where where we should go more and more. I think that as an industry, I always say we are a bit old fashioned sometimes. So this is something that was good to talk and to see so much of excitement around this. No. Besides other topics such as uh, sustainability, cooperation, which were already more on the table uh, in previous years, obviously. So very happy and, yes, intimidating, yeah, initially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would be honest there, but very interesting, actually. Very engaged audience and very uh, interesting uh, peers also in the chat. So very happy. Exactly. <laughs> Looking forward to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, will um, send you the payment for that glowing answer about logic <laughs> later. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that the, was that the impression you got, Lucas? Lucas was on site in, in Leon. I was, yeah, I was actually there. Yeah, yeah. well, we say this bit of a joke. Every, now, but, every episode, um, yeah. every episode we mention it. But yeah, I was there in um, Leon. It's my first um, WBR event, also just the first Lodger Farm, obviously. And it was um, pretty amazing to see the scale of it and sort of sit in some of the talks and listen to the speakers and everything. Because it seems like everyone is very comfortable doing what they're doing. So it's sort yeah. of interesting to know that that might not be the case. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's one of those things. I was at Trade Tech as well, and mm. they just have such confidence. And yeah, it's really impressive to watch. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if our listeners know this, but like we have a call with our guests beforehand just to kind of chat through anything that that you might want to chat about. And we kind of got on to your experience working with Pfizer during um, COVID-19. Um, this is obviously a very kind of unique experience, and something I think our listeners would really love to hear about. So. Yeah, it'd be great to kind of touch on that. How do you first began work? Um, how you first begin working with Pfizer? What was your role there? I actually got called. Uh, I was intern manager, as I mentioned, so working for PwC in in different customers, and then obviously COVID hit, and you know the whole world uh, turned upside down. And then I was lucky to to be called there. And um, initially there was not even vaccine, of course. Now, so we were still. In the process of uh, testing the technology, validating it, and also the the lanes operationally. So uh, my main involvement initially was on the project implementation deployment of the technology for some of the the lanes, eh? especially testing those that were a bit more, let's say, tricky. Eh? Like for example, the highest temperature, the longest distance in very you know exciting uh, you know exotic uh, geographies, mm-hmm. right? So. We were testing that, and this is the, how it all started. And then by December, um, well, obviously this took many months of a full global team working together in case the vaccine was uh, was successful, and it did, obviously. Mm. By December already we were doing the first shipment, so you can imagine everything was, was crazy since since yeah. February uh, yeah. till December. Yeah, mm-hmm. We can get in more detail, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, we talk about sort of high pressure work environments. Yeah. I can't think of. Something. I think my day to day is stressful, but <laughs> yeah. nothing on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. slightly different. Yeah. Um, so, what was it actually like taking on such a seismic responsibility? Did you sort of even think about that at the time? Did you just sort of take it day by day? Yeah, what was it like? Yeah. Uh, you take it day by day. Probably when the vaccine was successful, obviously things were, uh, you know, multiplied in terms of, as you said, stress, working hours, even a bit of a confusion at, at times, of course, right? This is, uh, this was a global team. Um, I don't even know how many people were involved selecting, uh, you know, with the right partner for the technology, but also all the 3PLs and all the carriers globally, which was also a challenge as well, no? and making sure we could manage them also remotely via the technology and via the, the control tower. So making sure we could take interventions on time before the product was damaged, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, we took it uh, day by day, I would say. I think you are, you don't realize probably until you you are outside of the project somehow, no? the, the, the scale of this, to be honest with you. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's such a unique it's such a unique experience to everyone who must have been involved like that it's and something that's never happened before like there wasn't mm-hmm. the kind of layout or framework in, in place there what kind of changes needed to be made to the logistical side of the supply chain and prepare for that in terms of transport I might, there was early days I remember the kind of um, stress of kind of temperature control that kind of thing there what kind of changes did you find were the kind of most pressing mm. Well, there were changes in every area. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we only have half an hour or one hour. But okay, could, yeah. could be never ending. But yeah, um, for example, <clears throat> getting your the carriers obviously to be working together and making sure they were accepting the the playbook we were giving. For example, mm-hmm. and making sure we could have the right interventions in any lane anywhere in the world. For example, no matter if it was road, air, or at times ocean, obviously freight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was <clears throat> that was one. Um, also on the destinations as well, because no one knew what to do, right? No one knew how to how to manage those shipments, what to do with the injectable, uh, you know, with the with the dosages. How much could they keep it? Where could they keep it? For you know, it was shipped at minus minus seventy or in a range yeah. between minus sixty minus eighty. So. Um, it was shipped in, uh, passive packaging. So really with dry ice with a, which takes a few days to, to evaporate. So obviously very fast pace moving as well there. Um, you know, so there were lots of, uh, also the, the boxes as well, the shippers, yeah. the return, the reverse flow, uh, of those, et cetera, because the good thing of this is that all the flows were, uh, all the assets were reusable and returnable to base, you know. So this is not easy, as, as I can tell you that. So <laughs> the <laughs> amount of the amount of shippers we used to send, like um, I think there were about ninety thousand when I left uh, per month, you know. So all of these sending back to to base and all this, so really a big uh, logistics challenge there as well. So yeah. Wow. But you know, if this answers the question, but we can talk for hours on this yeah yeah something definitely. that yeah there's just so much unknown about it that had to be sorted out yeah we could be here for hours chatting about it it's just so interesting to hear it from your side your point of view mm-hmm. yeah. from our end we sort of just we're thinking waiting for a vaccine basically. we were just like oh something's coming um yeah. just no yeah. idea yeah and then yeah how it actually happens is um interesting to hear what would you say? Obviously, you touched on all the challenges there, and I'm sure there were a lot, lot more. But what would you say? Sort of the main 
tools will you sort of overcome these challenges, and particularly with the, the temperature control? The same tool, uh, sorry, the main tools you said? Main tools, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we obviously, the, as I always say, that there are many companies there that can provide technology for the, for the real uh, time and temperature tracking, obviously. Uh, but I always say we need to be careful when you select the, the right one, right? Uh, and again, it's not only about supplying devices or, or the assets, but also it's much more about what can they deliver around this, you know, the, the kind of control tower capabilities, for example, they can put in place. Uh, I mean, imagine you need to have 24-7 or uh, multi-language multi help desks uh, to, to really be able to 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 help the, the destinations, you know, whether if it was a hospital or a, or a practice anywhere in the world, for example. Also, the effective interventions during the during transit, as well as I mentioned, also really being able to transmit from this, uh, I mean, using this, this partner, right, this technology partner, but also, uh, being able to communicate and taking a, a lot of escalations away from the supply chain, you know, so, and making sure they communicate it with the carriers and, you know, triggering the right interventions, no matter where they were in the world, for example. Also, the right business intelligence tools around this, for example, or other added value services, for example, not so really, for example, I'm thinking building the right dashboards. Uh, at that time, we were almost having every every uh, person working for Pfizer capable of, of joining those dashboards and seeing where the shipments were, et cetera, what were the status, et cetera, without really being able to access the main um, database, but obviously those were the front-end system as well. So really providing a lot of um, uh, intelligence there as well, uh, same as, for example, providing the the quality release almost immediately, you know, of the vaccines, which was really key, you know, for some health authorities, etc. So all this experience, you know, and all this partnership is really key and was really difficult. Um, also, for example, I'm, I'm talking about the, the shipper providers as well. For example, the reusability of the shippers, you know, the, the, the passive packaging, you know, being able to, to deliver the, the right uh, refurbishing centers, you know, anywhere in the world, for example, at times, you know, so all those were, were key. Um, yeah, I think those, some, some examples I can and name there. So, yeah. It's interesting to have this conversation now, having known that the COVID-19 vaccine was a success and yeah, it helped millions across the world. But, and you touched there about the kind of people behind the scenes. Would you put people as the, down as the key to success there? Yeah, for sure. The change management and really aligning, uh, all the, all the, all the teams, you know, as I always say, this is a very complex uh, industry and you have many partners, quality, regulatory operations, supply chain, et cetera. Yeah. And you have also the, the health authorities. So in every country, you know, this is not really a harmonized, uh, harmonized process. For example, of course, you have the, the FDA in the US, you have the EMA in, in Europe, but then you have many other cases like Brazil, Japan, etc. So also the to get the local health authorities to approve this yeah. technology and to approve the the quality release reports, etc. etc. You know, it's it's really time consuming. You need a lot of uh, uh, meetings and you know of course the trigger uh, is COVID. Eh? I mean <laughs> let's not forget I think this was uh a real accelerator of everything in general, you know, technology, mm -hmm. 
loggers, but also the, the approvals, et cetera, et cetera. So you mustn't forget, I mean, we, are, we mustn't forget this was uh, su- successfully uh, implemented um, in time uh, project, let's say. So really, when you think about the average of a vaccine can take to be developed, not only developed, but also approved in many countries, this is this is a totally game changer, this case. So, yeah. People, definitely, yes. Yeah, that's what I found from hosting this podcast is that ultimately at the end of the day, pharma is such a human industry. It's all kind of, it all comes back to that kind of human aspect and it is such, it's so lovely to hear. You sort of touched on there, obviously, it was a a new um, vaccine that normally takes a long time to develop and um, have approval and everything, but more on the sort of the logistics side, um, obviously it had to be safe for transportation delivery at such a big scale. How did you manage that on the logistics side and how would you say your role specifically uh, contributed to that? Yeah, again, this is a very complex project. I mean, in terms of people, it wasn't really down to one person, etc. But mm-hmm. um, obviously there were validation on the packaging, um, you know, so really also the testing of the lanes was crucial as well not before the vaccine was implemented as i said we were starting to to test from the beginning of 2020 the technology etc uh, so really you know making sure the carriers were uh, were aligned and knowing what to do in terms of interventions etc this is crucial for the approval end to end of the of a lane for example of the or the qualification of a lane uh, together with the packaging as well so i think that was the big part of the logistics uh, success here, I would say. Um, yeah, so also talking a lot with, with uh, destination countries, for example, right? So making sure they also understood the process, the technology, the assets, and what to do with, L- with them at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think probably this summarizes all this, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we move on, because I feel like me and Lucas could keep you here for hours chatting about this, but what kind of is the key lesson that you've, that you'll take from this experience and your move in forward into your work since then, kind of what has stayed with you? Um, there are several lessons, obviously, or several learnings out of it. So um, I think, for example, the you need agility on implementing projects, you know, project management at a fast, fast pace, really fast pace implementation, something that, again, typically is not common from the pharma industry. And again, <laughs> Sorry to say this, but this is sometimes not the case. No, it's good uh, to hear though. Is it's all applicable? No, I mean the, the, we we mustn't forget this is again, uh, as I said, always a regulated and yeah. quality driven, and we are sometimes reluctant to to change this, uh, which I understand. Also, the other learning can be a bit of clear communication channels, and again, when you have a project with more than maybe six hundred people globally working on this, uh, and again, I'm talking about people really directly. Link, uh, working on this, your communication channels have to be really clear, uh, concise, and you know not not to create uh, unnecessary noise, etc. So yeah. uh, this is really difficult to manage in a project like this. Let's be honest, right? Also communicating uh, not only internally but also externally with the third-party logistics, with the authorities, as I mentioned, and even at times with the media as well. No, with with the with the rest of the world. Let's put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, another learning can be, I guess, stakeholder engagement from all sides of the business and really having a strong sponsorship. Huh? I mean, up to the CEO level, of course, this, this obviously helps in a project like this, right? Um, not, you cannot always have, of course, a CEO sponsorship. That's clear. 
<laughs> and then, um, yeah, I guess at times you need some, what I call moments of fortune as well. No, when you, you cannot, uh, you cannot always link it to, I mean, you don't have everything under control at project implementation, but yeah, <laughs> these things happen. Yeah. It is good to hear that. I think that's what from previous guests that they've kind of been like the myth that they've kind of debunked and we'll get onto that later in the episode is that you can't always have everything under control. Pharma may look quite shiny and bright from the outside, but there are still things that you just cannot get mm. under control. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, as Megan said, we could honestly talk to you for anything <laughs> about this because, like, from my experience of, I think I had my vaccines in a like a little town hall somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, same for you, Megan. So hearing yeah. about even just touchings of how it came to be is um fascinating to to learn to be honest. Um, yeah. but we also want to talk to you a little bit about real time visibility of the supply chain, and it's probably an understatement to say that real time visibility is a priority for <laughs> for many organisations, not just in the the pharma supply chain but across industries so um so firstly on that note would you be able to tell us in basic terms why <laughs> real-time visibility is so important and particularly in the pharma supply chain industry yeah obviously when we talk uh, pharma and we're talking about products that go into people's bodies and let's say so really delicate we need to Ideally, we should uh, have um, real visibility, in, especially in some key products, for example, not only vaccines, but also more and more is going to be the cell and gene therapy, uh, the new therapies, which will be key to be, uh, you know, on time and monitored at all times, you know, because it will be tailor-made, let's say, for, for the patients. You know? So more and more, this will be uh, the future. Also, products like clinical trials, of course, is is key to to keep the track on on real time. Um, you know, all the quality aspects and the possible temperature excursions are really important for some of those products. Uh, again, not only vaccines. So when I talk about pharma, there are other ones we could talk about. Uh, very critical medicines for li- life saving yeah, for patients, etc. So. That's, that's really a game changing when you have that. And obviously you need to know, I mean, it's not only the visibility, it's really the, the tool that can enable you to take, um, interventions in real time, for example, right? So this is the key here and, and avoid, uh, destruction or avoid damage of some product, which can obviously affect the safety and the integrity of that, that medicine, for example. And so that's one thing but also i would uh, i would not limit this only to pharma but also maybe other high value industries as well of product you know or even high value raw materials for example which can be tremendously um, you know valuable as well so you cannot uh, have the luxury of losing some pallets let's say due to a temperature excursion mm-hmm. for example right so mm-hmm. yeah I think that's uh, a summary from my side. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So what then, from your experience then, would you say the main challenges of implementing real-time visibility across the entire supply chain is? The main challenges? Uh, well, obviously, we mentioned people. Of course, change mm-hmm. uh, management is yeah. It's really, uh, yeah, it's really difficult at times. And uh, I talk for experience, but obviously... Um, One of the other ones is obviously cost. We cannot really forget cost. Uh, This is not always, I mean, some organizations don't really perceive the business case clear at times. And and I totally understand because, again, this is still not a very cheap technology in some of them, obviously, but more and more each day as well. Uh, But, you know, by the interventions and the safety of product you can deliver, uh, maybe this is also you can 
you can build your business case more accurately, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Um, another challenge is obviously, as I mentioned already, the um, selecting the right partner again, you know, so making sure you get the right capabilities around the, the, the loggers. No, it's not only about putting loggers or, or smart labels, et cetera. It's also what else can you partner with, with someone. And, uh, there are numerous examples, eh, which are already working in the industry with, with other, not only with, with Bayer or Pfizer, but other companies, of course. So you really need to select the right partner. And I guess in the future, these partners should be also uh, asset agnostic. So maybe they could probably bring any kind of logger and just giving you the visibility, the intervention, the effective intervention uh, via their tool in the future. You know, I think that's more where all these companies are going nowadays. You know, so um, those are three of the challenges. If I have to name another one, is obviously the reverse logistics is still a challenge because there is not always um, business case or a or a cost-effective way to return those assets. But we need to think about this more and more in terms of sustainability, carbon footprint, and obviously the reusability and returnability of those assets as well. So this is more and more important each day, I would say. Mm -hmm. On our call that we had where we were sort of talking about what topics we could cover in the podcast, and we got onto real-time visibility. Remember, you showed us some smart labels, I think. Um, we were yeah, blown away. Yeah. We were blown away, very blown away. Um, and that got us thinking sort of what key pieces of technology are helping with visibility right now. If I talk about the, the smart label that we yes. use. Yes, please do. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, we're very proud of Bayer. We are de- developing this. We have developed this actually since pretty much 2017, I would say, with other, uh, with technology uh, manufacturers, of course, we are not a manufacturing company of this technology, and this is a piece of, uh, of equipment which is really clever uh, for the for the size, of course, and it's a flexible uh, label. This half uh, size of an uh, half of an A4, for example, mm. uh, can be attached uh, to any partially. Uh, I mean, to any parcel, pretty much. And uh, the cost is also quite cost beneficial. No? Yeah. The more, obviously, the, the more volumes we have as well, um, the better, of course. Um, so the idea is to really have IoT devices in pretty much every shipment around the world, right? Which is, it, this should be the ideal scenario, of course. We, we try to make them also uh, returnable. So they are rechargeable via um, contactless, yeah? like any kind of mobile device as well. So we're working on that technology as well. Um, and again, the idea would be here to to have a cost-benefit uh, solution as much as possible with those uh, printed batteries as well, which are not uh, dangerous goods, can be returnable, etc. So um, this is the idea. This is where we're trying to move within Bayer as well more and more. Uh, we're using it already extensively in the crop science division in the – yeah. Um, in most of the shipments around the world. And it's actually available for any company as well. It's not only proprietary of, of Bayer as well. So that's, that's one of the, that's what we see probably the more uh, development because it's also a real time transmitter as well, similar as other bigger devices, et cetera. So I guess in the future, uh, size will also be important as well in those shipments. So yeah. Uh, besides that, also you have the more, um, traditional providers of, of loggers as well, which some of them are more in the forefront than others, but I think they're they are going in the right direction as well, you know, and all of them are uh, returnable as well. Most of them are returnable, which is the key here, I guess, for sustainability purposes, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it was just it was very cool to see on the call. I think we were, <laughs> me and Lucas were both very fascinated, a, chatting yeah. through all the um, vaccine, um, all your experience there, and then the smart label came out. We were very, very fascinated <laughs> by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, have, I have some some samples here if you guys want. I can send up to the caller. <laughs> <as well. laughs> yeah, the first, the first bit, yeah, first bit of um, sponsorship there on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so you can you can play around with them as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, before we move on and kind of wrap things up, you mentioned um, reverse logistics as a challenge there. If it's done well, how is that then successful? Because I know you mentioned it's kind of something to tackle. But yeah, how does real-time visibility help achieve successful reverse logistics operations? Yeah, actually, this is also a very uh, another success story of this project, especially on the COVID vaccine, because... Mm. We partnered not, also, not only with the logger provider, but also the, the, the shippers provider, the yeah. packaging companies. And then the logger was embedded there. And then the idea was obviously to, to have the visibility at all times of those boxes as well, right? No matter where they were in the world. And also with several, the right instructions to the destination countries, they were, you know, collecting them for some days or months. And then we, I mean, the, even the provider was organizing, the, the logger provider was organizing the pickup at points, you know, at, at any country via uh, the couriers or other companies. And those were returning back to, to the refurbishing centers of the, uh, of the packaging material providers, right? So, uh, and we could also uh, return over 90, 95% of the shippers, which is really an amazing, Amazing percentage, you know. So pretty much we're seeing that almost none of the boxes and the loggers were getting lost anywhere in the world. So imagine the amount of reduction of carbon, et cetera, right, involved in this. And as long as the logger was charged on the way back, you could see perfectly at any time where your loggers and your shippers were anywhere in the world. So that gives you full end-to-end visibility of your assets. This can be applied to pretty much anything in the future, even even a pallet, for example, right, uh, on real time, if that makes sense. Right? So, yeah, really successful story there. Lots of, of course, there is a cost of transport on the way back, but the amount of, because you could reuse those boxes, refurbish them, you know, um, sterilize them again and put in, putting them back again in the supply chain. So really an amazing uh, experience there as well, to be honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Thank you for your answers so far, by the way. I know we've asked you a lot of questions, yes. um, but we have one more. And this is a, it's a question we're asking every guest. And we've had some really good uh, responses so far, which is nice. Mm. Um, our last question is, uh, given your extensive experience, are there any commonly held beliefs in the industry that you think might be a myth? Yeah, probably I can, I could probably bring two to the table. Um, Amazing. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah. Actually, we, we as supply chain in the pharma, sometimes we tend to, to think that most of the supply chain partners or stakeholders are at the same level, right? We, they all have the same knowledge, maturity or understanding of what we need. No, and when I talk about we, I only, not only say we from Bayer or the customer side, but also as I mentioned, I've been on the other side now, on the third-party logistics as well now. And this is getting more and more complex every day as we talk about, uh, you know, real-time uh, providers of visibility, packaging uh, companies, et cetera, right? So, and as I mentioned, now within the clinical supply and the cell and gene therapy in the future, this is going to get more and more complex as well because there will be, the production will also be different as well, will be on a, lower scale, et cetera, et cetera. So 
you need a you know more real time and more you know visibility not only visibility but also to have them all as much as possible in the same level of understanding all the parties right if that makes sense so that's that's what i think um and another one is probably we in this industry also as i mentioned before i touched uh, a little bit briefly we we tend to think this industry is unique in a way right so that we we're doing only the things in a in the same way for for decades, for example, and due to the regulatory and quality uh, sometimes, which yes, it is important and needs to be there still anyway. Uh, but we should take a bit more of a startup, uh, an entrepreneurial type of mindset in the logistics as well of this, you know. So I don't know if this comes across very clearly, but I think in the in the in the year and age we we are living now, we should be a bit faster in in developing these kind of solutions as well, uh, involving all the stakeholders, as I mentioned in the, in the chain anyway. So those, those would be my, my main two key takeaways, I would say, you know, so I don't know if this helps or not. So. Oh no, that's perfect. <laughs> that's very so far, got yeah. two for one as well. So yeah, yeah can't complain. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. So it is so interesting to hear the kind of, especially just more the behind the scenes kind of human aspect to it and kind of, mm-hmm. especially from a workplace now that we've had, um, a year or so in the in, in the workplace just to kind of hear it from that and actually understand it yeah it is so applicable to all the other industries mm-hmm. i think we learn the most from these answers oh yeah definitely. Again, but yeah, yeah the definitely. answers are amazing that we're getting well thank you so much for your time and kind of having us ask you so many questions about your experience <laughs> it's been absolutely brilliant no thanks to you for the invite Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Logi Pharma podcast. If you'd like to get involved with any sponsorship opportunities, Lucas, what can our listeners do? Well, Megan, if you'd like to get involved, anyone listening, you can email podcast at logipharma.co.uk and one of us will get in touch. Yeah, we've got various sponsorship opportunities available. So we look forward to hearing from you. Mm-hmm.